Well, good morning, Crossview Church, and welcome to our final online-only service before September 11th. I'm very, very excited to be here. I get to be the last one who preaches a message in this beautiful hot box uh, here in the office. I'm very, very excited. Uh, it is my honor, no, no, my privilege, uh, to take this last spot. Chris doesn't get it. I get the last message in here. I'm very, very excited, and I think that makes me pretty special. Don't you? Wrong. I was already special because my mama told me so, and so did God. I'm very special. All right, let's get into the message today. We're talking about the fourth and final pillar of Crossview Church, and this pillar is called character and emotional health. There's the graphic, character and emotional health. Yes, we are aware that disciple is spelt wrong. Deskepel instead of disciple. E instead of I. That's okay. It's okay. Breathe. Whew. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there. And I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, if this bugs you, that makes me happy. All right. Here we go. Let's get into defining the terms of this pillar, character and emotional health. All right. Disciple people in Christ likeness. Disciple people in Christ likeness. Second John verse six says this, those who say they live in God should live their, live their lives as Jesus did. Let me say that again. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Doesn't get much more clear than that right there. If we needed more clarity though, Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35, I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So that's how we prove. This is who we are. This is who we are. We are, we are Christ-like. We love like him. Jesus set an example for us to follow. He gave us a template, a template for living our lives as he did. And there's many, many areas, right? There's many areas of Christ-likeness that we are to be discipled in and to disciple others in. Uh, and they include things like service towards others, sacrificial love, steadfast faith, joy, peace, the list goes on. Here at Crossview, we want our lives to reflect Christ's character in all spheres, okay? So our inner life, uh, our interpersonal life and our entire worldview, how we view everything, politics, the news, uh, media, everything is our, our worldview, our interpersonal life, our inner life should all be Christ-like. There shouldn't be an area of our lives that is untouched by Christ-likeness in every sphere. This is how we reflect him. So we've chosen three categories that you're going to see in this pillar diagram, three categories of reflecting Christ-likeness. And they are the following. Number one, integrity and purity. Number two, emotionally healthy relationships and spirituality. And number three, motivated by love and not fear. Motivated by love, not fear. Okay, so let's start with integrity. Integrity. Integrity is something we're going to champion regularly at Crossview, and we already have. Uh, I mean, just a few weeks back in, in summer, Bill Pipke preached an entire message. Bill Pipke preached. Got to be... That's, I, I nailed it. I did it. Say that five times fast. Bill Pipke preached at an entire message on living a lifestyle of integrity and building our lives on the word of Christ. And I mean, an entire ministry, right? An entire ministry of living a life of integrity. Uh, and we, we champion that 
here at Crossview and living a life of integrity, a life of honesty and uprightness. It's not just an inner life matter. Integrity is not just an inner life matter. It's not just about personal honesty. It's actually about all of our interpersonal interactions, you know, at work, at home, um, our, our dealings uh, with other people. Uh, we should be known for our honesty and our integrity in all spheres of life. Now, purity. Okay, so integrity and purity. Let's talk about purity. Purity is a word that many of us as Christians have come to assume means basically just one thing. Sexuality. Purity, it's, it's, if you, if you talk about purity, you're probably talking about sexuality. And this is especially true in, in accountability groups, which I've been a part of many, uh, which are awesome. And in these accountability groups, uh, there'll be, it's almost a euphemism, a euphemism, a euphemism, uh, that, you know, did you struggle in purity this week? Did you stay pure? Um, I'm keeping myself pure. This is strange uh, culture around the word pure where it seems to just mean sexuality. Well, now while purity definitely includes sexuality, uh, it's not exclusive to just that area of our lives. It's not limited there. Uh, again, we want purity to be a guiding force in our interpersonal interactions, in our worldview. And uh, Paul tells Titus this in, in Titus chapter one. This is a really good example, okay? So Titus, one of my favorite books in the Bible, I wanted to use the, the, the name Titus for one of my children. My wife refused um, for reasons that you can conclude in your own. But Titus, I think, is a really good name. And, and, and Titus is a really good guy that Paul works with in ministry in the New Testament. And, and Paul, he writes to Titus in the book of Titus. Imagine that. He, he writes to Titus and he says this in Titus chapter 1, verse 15. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. But nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciousness are corrupted. Let me read that again. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciousness are corrupted. Consciences, conscience and consciences are corrupted. What is the context of purity though here? What is Paul talking about when he says, to the pure, everything are pure, everything. To the pure, Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. What does that mean? The context of purity in this passage, if you, if you read the beginning of Titus chapter 1 and what comes after, after verse 15, Paul is talking about not corrupting the gospel with extra rules. That's what he's talking about. Don't corrupt the gospel with extra rules because it makes the gospel impure. It waters it down. It dilutes it. It changes it. The gospel is not about these extra rules. And the extra rules that Paul's talking about are things like what you can or cannot eat, whether or not to get circumcised, uh, Sabbath re regulations. Uh, these were very controversial issues and topics for the early church. And when Paul says that everything is pure, when Paul says that everything is pure, this is what he's referring to. Now, he's he's clearly excluding things that are, that are defined as sinful. He's not saying murder is pure if done from a pure heart. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's, it's, it's always a sin. That's not what he's talking about. He instead is, he's demonstrating criticism of what we might call cultural sins. Okay. Paul is demonstrating criticism of cultural sins that make the gospel impure or diluted. Okay. They're kind of religious rules and regulations that we can put on ourselves and put on people. Uh, a good modern example of this might be tattoos. 
So here we go. Uh, yes, under the Mosaic law, the Jews were not told to tattoo their bodies the way that pagan nations did uh, because they were symbols. They were s- symbolic of idols and idol worship. Does that mean then that we as Christians cannot tattoo our bodies because in the Old Testament there was a law and the pagan nations did it, so we should not do that today. We should not tattoo our bodies. I would say no. Okay, first of all, we are not under the Mosaic law anymore. And if and if you would like to, you can go back into the messages in summer. Uh, Chris did a whole series uh, on this, um, a couple of messages. And furthermore, uh, as long as you are not tattooing symbols of, of pagan gods onto your body, should be all right. Should be all right as long as you're not tattooing um, symbols of pagan gods because to the pure, all things are pure. Okay, so so there's that. Adding adding on ex- these these extra rules, um, using and, and and you know Paul, I mean circumcision, Sabbath laws, um, th- these rules and regulations um, about what you can and you cannot eat. These were these were things that that Paul argued were fulfilled by Christ. That we no longer had to you know be paranoid about all of these little laws. Um, that instead we are prepared for good works. And we avoid that which is sinful. Paul talks about this all the time. This is not to get away with sin. This is about those religious rules and regulations. So sin is still sin. And you can search anywhere in the New Testament to find lists of sin. Uh, Paul loves his lists of sins. There's, that's different. You know, like I said, murder is not all of a sudden pure. Lust is not all of a sudden pure because you have a pure heart. Nothing can be further from the truth. The truth. Instead, Paul is arguing about these religious regulations that we put on and that actually dilute the gospel. Okay, I digress. Let's move on to motivated by love and not by fear. I'm going to come back to emotional health and character later on, but we're going to jump to motivated by love and not fear. And actually, this uh, this conversation about tattoos and other religious regulations that we put on people, it's a perfect example of being motivated uh, by fear instead of love. Uh, As Christians, we should be the least fearful people in the world. We should be the least fearful people in the world. We should not be jumping at every controversial conversation that comes along. Uh, Something powerful that Chris said in the the Everything is Spiritual message uh, a few weeks back. He said, at Crossview, we want to be free from fear. Free from control and authoritarianism. Free from guilt and condemnations. Because for too long as evangelical Christians, we have been known more for our fear than for our love. You know, whether it's fear, it's fear of the government, it's fear of communism, fear of uh, media, movie, music, uh, fear of, you know, these agendas, liberalism and feminism and the, and the LGBTQ agenda. We are known for a fear of, of what's out there, a fear of the other. But that is, it's, it's not biblical. It's not biblical to be living and be motivated by fear. We want to be motivated by love. Listen to what John says in 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Brothers and sisters, we need to work. We need to work on our fears. It's fine to be afraid. I mean, anxiety, I'm about to talk about anxiety in, in emotional health. It's, it, we're not commanded um, to, you know, to, to, never, to, to never worry. You know, we, we are encouraged not to worry. But it's not as if, uh, you know, our, 
you know, our worries are, um, we don't need to be condemned by our worries is what I'm trying to say. We don't need to be condemned. And yet we do need to work on our fears, especially irrational fears and especially fears that prevent us from loving others. Perfect love casts out fear and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Fear motivates us, motivates us to hide, to hunker down and self-preserve, whereas love motivates us to go, to go, to reach out, to serve, to sacrifice for the world. And that's the kind of heart that we want to have as a church, a heart that is for people, not against them, a heart that, that invites instead of incites, a heart that cares and does not condemn. You know, John, John 3, 16, the most famous, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The verse right after that, John 3, 17, Jesus says, I did not come into this world to condemn it, but to save it. I came for the sick. I came for those who need saving. I came for the dysfunctional. And that's all of us. All of us need that grace. And we need to extend that same grace to others. Not be afraid of, of agendas. Not stir up and incite um, you know, arguments that just lead to more fear and more anger, but instead be inviting, be for people and not against them. Reach out and serve. Model Christ's sacrificial love. Okay, I want to talk about emotional health now. And this is where we're going to, this is where we're going to spend the, the, the rest of the message is in this area of emotional, emotionally healthy spirituality. In summer, uh, I preached a message um, about the lies that we believe that cause us to hide our true selves from God and from others. We discussed performance-based Christianity and the role that shame so often plays in our lives, especially as we struggle with sin, with imperfections, with weaknesses, with anxieties, with insecurities. Basically, it was a message about being emotionally unhealthy and letting go of the lies that keep us there and moving into true vulnerability and honesty and grace with our God. Now, mental health, mental health has become a huge discussion point in this past year, okay? Whether it's anxiety, addiction, depression, loneliness, thoughts of self-harm or self-injury, codependency, or just unbearable boredom and loneliness. Cabin fever. Uh, we've all experienced something like that probably in this past year, some lack of emotional health and, and strength. I mean, as even as I make that list, I can, I can check the boxes in my brain, right? Okay, so yeah, anxiety, yep. Okay, addiction, yep. Uh, boredom and loneliness. Ah, hello there, best friend one and best friend two. I know them very well, loneliness and boredom, uh, especially in this last year. It's forced me, uh, this past year has forced me to slow down. Okay, it's forced me to slow down and be at home more than I ever wanted to before more than I ever wanted to. I'm an extra extrovert, an extra extrovert, extra extra, read all about it. At one point I took a Myers-Briggs test and it said that I was, I think it was 88% extroverted on the, on the scale. And so yeah, you know, go places, do things, talk to people and, uh, and do whatever you can to, to not just sit and, and, and feel my feelings. Uh, it sounds ridiculous, but it's true. And uh, if I'm being perfectly honest, I am not very good at having a rhythm, a rhythm of rest and work. Rest and work, work and rest. I'm not too good at that. And this year with, with working from home, I felt like I was working when I wanted to rest and I was resting when I wanted to work. I don't know if any of you can identify with that, but I felt like I was, I was working when I wanted to rest and I was resting when I wanted to work and it just all mixed together and it made it, uh, it, made it very frustrating for, for me and also for my family in that spot. So as we get into the rest of this message, I want to recall the words of uh, Mike Bickle, the International House of Prayer 
pastor. Mike Bickle said, today I am preaching myself towards the truth. And that's the, 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 the position that I want to be in and let you know that I am in this morning as I preach this message, that I am preaching myself towards the truth because this is an area of weakness for me. I need to grow in this area of emotional health, particularly in uh, having proper a proper rhythm of rest. And so I'm going to preach myself and hopefully a few of you uh, towards this idea of emotional health and a rhythm of rest. So a rhythm of rest. Let's go there. I want to talk about rest. How many of you have a financial budget? You don't need to raise your hands because I can't see you anyways. But how many of you have a financial budget? How many of you stick to your budget? Now, just so I know that people are actually watching the message here on a long weekend, uh, why don't you put a dollar sign in the comments if you have a budget and you stick to it, a financial budget. Just put a little dollar sign in the comments. And, um, and so most of us, yes, most of us have a financial budget. We only have about 16 hours in a day though. Do we have a time budget? Do we have a time budget? We've only got about 16 hours in the day and uh, how do we allocate that? How do we, you know, with all of our different priorities, how much time do we offer to them? And obviously there's quality over quantity time, but how do we do that? How do we allocate, how do we budget our time in our waking hours? I don't actually have a time budget. Um, I don't know many people that would call it a time budget. But uh, my wife and I probably spend probably two to three hours every month going over our calendar and making sure that we are using our, our time in a way that is in line with our values. Okay, do we have enough family time here? What about friends time? What about, uh, what about going out? What about date night? What about, uh, you know, ministry opportunities? What about when we're going to watch the next Marvel movie? You know, we got to prioritize these things. We got to, we got to plan them out. We got to look at the calendar here. So, uh, but for most of my life, most of my, my life and my marriage, I literally would panic every time I saw an open night. Oh my goodness. Open night on the calendar. Like we are free Friday. Like, what do you expect me to do? Sit, sit at home and feel feelings? No, let's invite someone over. Let's go out and do something. Um, but you know, in this past year that became more and more difficult. And now with having four kids, it's, it's even more difficult. And so, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been an uncomfortable, you know, even painful process uh, of learning to, uh, well, being forced to, and then learning because you're forced to, uh, spend more time resting, spend more time at home, spend more time with my family. I've learned it the hard way rather than actually having that proper rhythm of rest, you know, before I was spending more time at home with work and, and social events, you know, being canceled and stuff. But um, as, I, as, I, as, I've, as I was preparing for this message, I went back to a book. I went back to a book that was, it was really good. I, I read it and I was like, oh my goodness, this is a lot of good points. And then I went on living my life without having a proper rhythm of rest. And the premise of this book, at least two chapters in this book are dedicated to a proper rhythm of rest. And this book, I have it here with me. This book is called The Emotionally Healthy Leader by Pete Scazzaro. Really, really good book. And I'm just going to talk uh, today in the message about his two chapters on, uh, on rest, on a proper rhythm of rest. So emotionally healthy leader, let's talk about a rhythm of rest. So he, he labels his chapters Sabbath, Sabbath rest, Sabbath rest. Now, some of you might be thinking, 
hang on a minute. I thought we weren't under the Mosaic laws. Therefore, we don't have to follow the, the, the rules of Sabbath, right? Or as the Jews call it, Shabbat. I like that word, Shabbat. Shalom Shabbat. It's good, good, good. You are right. You are right. The Jewish rules of Sabbath no longer apply to us. However, the regular rhythm of rest, the regular weekly rhythm of rest is something that has been put into the fabric of creation and furthermore is a gift from God to us that we should open and we should use because it's a gift from God. Jesus told us what Sabbath was all about in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. This is what Jesus said. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. That is a beautiful verse. That is a beautiful verse. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a gift. It's a gift from God to us. This beautiful thing that we should receive with joy and gratitude because it's not an obligation. It's a beautiful thing that helps our lives be emotionally and spiritually and relationally healthy. So in his chapter, Sabbath Delight, Pete Scazzaro describes his experience of Shabbat in Jerusalem, okay, with a Jewish family. He describes it in the following way. Imagine doing Thanksgiving once a week and you'll have an idea of what Shabbat is like. Shabbat is very different from the other six days of the week. Everything that distracts work, phones, technology is put aside in favor of things like prayer, study, long walks, naps, hikes, shared meals, and meaningful conversations. That is beautiful. I wish for a day like that every week. That would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. Of course, our God is the primary example of this. He set the example for us. He set the example of resting all the way back to creation. So Genesis 2, Genesis 2, verse 2 to 3. After the six days of creation, it says this. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested. He rested from all of his work. I'm not even... He rested. I know God doesn't get tired, but just this idea of resting. God rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and he declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Did you know? So God rested. God was no longer creating. He rested. And you know what he did? He took delight. He took delight in his creation. He looked at it and said, this is good. Let's enjoy it. That's what he did. There's a beautiful passage in Proverbs that talks exactly about this, about God not only resting, but enjoying himself, okay? Proverbs 8, 29 to 31 says this, I was there, so this is wisdom, okay? So in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified as kind of a person. And many theologians talk about how, you know, Jesus is sort of this embodiment of, the, of this person of wisdom in the Old Testament that we see crop up, especially in Solomon's writings. So this passage is, uh, is from the perspective of wisdom, okay, the, from the perspective of wisdom, which is this person that Jesus embodies. So Proverbs 8, 29, 31, I was there when he set the limits of the seas so they would not spread beyond their boundaries. And when he marked off the earth's foundations, I was the architect at his side. I was his constant delight, rejoicing always in his presence. And how happy I was. Man, these words, delight, rejoicing, happy. How happy I was when the world was created. How I rejoiced with the human family. I love how the NLT, I'm going to read that verse again because the NLT just nails the tone of delight and joy here. I was there when he set the limits of the sea so they would not spread beyond their boundaries. When he marked off the earth's foundations, I was the architect at his side. 
And I was his constant delight, rejoicing always in his presence, and how happy I was with the world he created, how I rejoiced with the human family, with everybody we rejoiced. We had a family gathering, a celebration. So I want to explore, I want to explore this, this joyful celebratory rest that we can call Sabbath, we can call day off, we can call whatever we want, but three aspects of, of Sabbath. And the three aspects are rest, reflection, and recreation. Rest, reflection, and recreation. Let's start with rest. So rest, rest. Sabbath rest means that for 24 hours, you stop doing the work that you normally get paid to do. Okay, that's a direct quote from Pete Scazzaro, by the way. Sabbath rest means that for 24 hours, you stop doing the, the work that you normally get paid to do. And it's really important, the, the, the phrase paid to do, the work you get paid to do. Uh, because, you know, I, I love mowing the lawn. I love chopping wood on my day off, and that's not something I do the other six days of the week anyways. So I, I find it restful to, to go out and mow the lawn for three or four hours and, and to chop wood. But in order to truly rest, in order to truly unplug from the work we do the rest, the work that we do the rest of the week, we need to let go of the illusion that we are indispensable to the running of the world. We have to let go of the illusion that we are indispensable to the running of the world. Because we, we're not. We're not indispensable. We can be replaced. And that's really hard. You know, as a, I'm, a, I'm an I personality, I'm, so that means I'm, I'm very extroverted. I'm very go, go, go. I like to have fun and all that kind of stuff. And so this, this idea, and I like to influence people, right? So the idea that I might not be needed, that I can just take a day, two days off to take a vacation, that that used to, you know, make me feel insecure because I thought I was needed. I thought I was wanted, right? It feels so good to be needed. It feels good for us, you know, in our workplaces to have that significance of I'm valued, I'm needed. My, my workplace needs me. I need to get this done. I need to meet with these people. And it's not bad to feel that significance, that value during work time. But we have to let it go at some point. I remember my first few years, remember my first few years working in church, I only actually truly felt valuable when I was in the church building. That's when I was valuable. That's when I was wanted. That's when I was needed. And then I'd have all this anxiety and um, and even, you know, sad thoughts. And I would go to coping mechanisms because when I wasn't at church, I was no longer wanted. I was no longer needed. And so I just felt low. And this is, this is part of that cycle, you know, of, um, of just needing to perform that we talked about before. So being forced this past year to be at home and find my value in other things, to find my to find my rest, my family time. You know, I suddenly had a two-day weekend because we weren't running four services over two days on the weekend. Suddenly I wasn't needed for that. Which by the way, at CrossFit, we're not going back to. Not going back to that. We're we're gonna have church on one day. We're gonna have church on one day, and as a staff, we're gonna practice a rhythm of rest by actually having a two-day weekend, by having Sundays and Mondays where we don't work. We have the office closed. And that's a value for us at Crossview is taking that, that two-day weekend, getting that with our families. Now, obviously, there are some circumstances, there are some seasons where our rhythm gets thrown off for a bit. I mean, even in the startup uh, here with, with what we've been doing with weekend services and everything, there's, there's seasons and circumstances and there's no condemnation or guilt in that. But it's, no, it's so important that we guard, that we guard a proper rhythm of rest and aim for something that looks like this. I'm gonna have a graphic on screen. So it's called secular versus sacred rhythm. 
So the sacred rhythm is that you, you work for your week and then you rest. And then you work and then you rest. And you work and then you rest. And you work and you rest. Work and you rest. What, he, what Pete Scazzaro calls a secular rhythm of rest would be to work, 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 and then, oh, vacation. Work, 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 oh, vacation. And you're just living for, at some point in the year, I'll finally be able to focus on my family and myself and my relationship with God. By the way, sacred, I want to clarify this, sacred does not mean Christian, and secular does not mean non-Christian. Because here's the thing. I know some non-Christians that follow the sacred rhythm of rest better than we as Christians do sometimes. Um, it's, it's just a matter of how God designed us to operate. And that is to have regular rhythms of rest. All right, let's move on to the second aspect of Sabbath. And that is reflection. Okay, number two, reflect. Take time to be alone with your thoughts. Take time to be alone with your thoughts and alone with God. For some of us, we might only truly get one day a week where we can really dig in, we can read our Bibles, we can spend time re reflecting um, on you know, what's, what's going on inside of us and in our lives. And that's, that's good. Take advantage of that one day. If you have one day of week, uh, a week where you can really truly you know, sit and reflect for a long period of time, and the rest of the week, you know, it's just here and there, that's fine. Lean into and enjoy those times that you can. Uh, I listened to I listened to a podcast by a guy named Matt Dobshoots, okay? Matt Dobshoots. Uh, he calls himself the Dauber, which is just pretty cheesy, the Dauber. Uh, and uh, he even has a 90s hip-hop intro to, uh, to his show. And uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's a dad. He's truly a dad. It's, it's, it's great. I love it. Anyways, in one episode, he asks his audience the question, when are you ever alone with you. When are you ever alone with you? And I thought that's such a great question. That is such a great question. Never. Uh, that's what I would have answered uh, before this year. Never. I have, I have always feared being alone. I've always feared being alone and uh, I'm not good at quiet times. And now that I have four kids under five, it don't get quiet times really anyways. So uh, like, no, I don't want to. I don't want. I don't want to be alone, um, especially not with me. And but it's no excuse, right? So I thought, I thought about this, and I realized, you know what? I should try this. I should try just taking time to be alone with me. But when can I do that? I don't really. I don't really have time for that, do I? And then I thought about mowing the lawn. Okay, it takes me like three to four hours to mow my lawn, and I realized that that chunk of time I always fill with listening to music or a podcast, which is great to get lots of podcasting done then, which is awesome. But just this summer, I tried something. I tried for, for just one hour, one hour, take the headphones off and just be alone with my thoughts. And you know, a beautiful thing happened. In that hour where I'm thinking, I'm just, I'm not trying to think about anything. I'm just alone with my thoughts, alone with God. I've had some of the most amazing, creative, reflective, connected to God moments just by doing nothing. I mean, I'm on a riding mower. I'm just kind of steering. It's kind of mindless. But my mind, in that time to just be alone with my thoughts, I can be reflective. I can be creative. I can be connected to God. It's been beautiful. It's been amazing. Another aspect within this area of reflection is, is reading, okay? So read the Bible and just read stuff in general. You know, try, try reading something that doesn't immediately bring your brain back to um, whatever, whatever your normal job is, uh, or at least, you know, read what interests you, read what excites you. Uh, Chris is weird and he likes to read theology on his day off. Uh, I don't, 
I prefer to read Harry Potter on my day off or some other fantastical escape from my normal. Uh, so, you know, whatever, whatever you read that kind of brings you to that place of rest, read. Read. Research has shown, and there are MRI scans to back this up, that regular reading, regular reading improves brain connectivity, empowers empathy, helps you sleep, reduces stress, and even helps alleviate depression symptoms. Wow, I need to read more. Seriously, I, I don't feel like I have read enough this year uh, in the past, uh, especially in the last the past few months, because to be honest, I have been in a stage of decision anxiety. I've been paralyzed by a decision I need to make. Should I get a Kindle? Should I get an audiobook subscription? Or should I keep buying physical books? <sighs> it has been exhausting trying to decide, but I think I finally decided and I've been approved by my wife and in two weeks I'm gonna get a Kindle. So how good. It's really great. Looking forward to getting a Kindle. By the way, uh, not a sponsor. All right, moving on. Three, recreate. Oh, sorry, I should set this up more. So we talked about rest. We talked about reflection. Now we're gonna talk about recreation. The most fun, the most fun. Okay, recreation. Do what you love to do. Do what you love to do. Take delight in your hobbies. If you don't have hobbies, if you don't know what your hobbies are, figure them out. If you don't have hobbies, get some. Get some, experiment with things. Uh, life is meant to be enjoyed. You know, back in spring, I, I did something. I, I, made a, I made a list of everything in the world that I enjoy. Okay, I, just, I, I opened up my OneNote and I just started putting stuff in there. I love this, I like this, that's a cool thing. This, I, that's fun, that's fun, this is fun. Oh, that's fun too. And I just made a list of all the things that I enjoyed. It's a great exercise, you should try it. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll share some with you. I'll share some, see if I can remember. But I had things like, I love I love reading fantasy and fiction. I love watching it too. I love uh, I love Marvel movies. Okay, I love um, I love Lego. I love watching really nerdy videos that breaks down the nerdy movies that I watch. Okay, um, I love um, uh, outdoor. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I love smoking meat. I love uh, going for bike rides. Uh, I love I love swimming. I love. Uh, going to restaurants, barbecues, uh, experimenting with different foods and flavors. I love in winter, uh, you know, snowboarding. Uh, I love I love extreme sports. I like roller coasters, I like amusement parks. I like taking risks. I just made a huge list of all these things, and, and you might want to make a list for yourself. What's fun? What's fun? Wrestle for you? Is it is it gardening, dog walking, coffee with friends, uh, cooking, painting, jumping out of planes? What is it that you find enjoyable and you can feasibly do? Um, but we're entering, you know, we're entering into a fall season, okay? We're entering into the fall season, so let's get outside while we can, obviously. Uh, I mean, winter's coming to kill us, so uh, just kidding. I love winter. I, I love, uh, you know, everything from snuggling up with a fire to snowboarding. Wouldn't it be really cool if we did like a ski snowboarding trip this cross you? That'd be really fun. I'm starting to speed up. Should I slow down? I like that snowboarding idea though. That'd be fun. Okay. Hobbies. Write down your hobbies. What do you love to do? Recapture your interests, your creative interests. All right, one more note here on recreation that I want to bring up. I just want to talk about this for a minute because I'm passionate about it, okay? Media. Okay, media, in particularly, in particular, movies and TV shows, all right? I feel like movies get a bad rap in Christian circles, and I think there's a lot of guilt oftentimes, guilt for ourselves, guilt for each other over our media use. But I just want to say that I love movies. 
I love movies as an art form. Uh, I love movies just as a way to relax and get caught up in a story and escape. I love that. I love it. And just in this past year, my family, we started a, a Friday family movie night. Maybe, maybe many of you guys have that already. But we started a Friday family movie night, and it was such a great way to kick off the weekend and to signal to my brain, Daddy is no longer working. Is it weird to call myself Daddy? It was, it was for my kids. And it was awesome. We've been going through all the Pixar movies on Disney+. Plus. And it just was the perfect way to kick off the weekend. We would make pizza, and we'd watch a family movie, and we just... It was so important, it was so important. And watching a movie on a Friday just seemed so much sweeter than watching it on like a Tuesday or something. Because again, it was this kind of kickoff to the weekend. And that uh, was really, really awesome. And uh, I, wanna, I just wanna encourage you, you know, as a family um, or as a single person or with your friends, you know, even a friend's movie night, I actually had that in the summer. It was awesome, once a month, I would get together with two friends and, uh, and we, would, we would watch all the episodes of the latest Marvel show. We do that as a friend, like if you, whether it's with family or with friends, find a way, rest, and uh, and have boundaries, you know. And uh, it's good to have a time that's set aside, it's, that it's special. It's not just like you know random and you're doing it all the time, but it's a set aside special time together. And speaking of together, um, I'm going to wrap up the message now by talking about relationships with others. So at the bottom of the pillar, at the bottom of that graphic for emotionally healthy spirituality. Uh, and character, it's relationship with others. Okay, we're gonna talk about small groups here. We're gonna land the plane. The final point is relationships with others. All the things that we've been discussing so far about rest and, and recreation and rhythm, all these things cannot be divorced from relationships with each other. It is better together than alone. So it is not, yeah, it's not good to be alone. That's what, that's what God said, it's not good for us to be alone. I wanna preach about the importance of relationships. Preach, talk, let me just talk. Can I talk about the importance of relationships? No, no, no. My notes say, don't talk about the importance of relationships because I don't wanna go over time here, okay? So I'm not gonna talk about the importance of relationships, but I do wanna talk about what we're going to do in regards to small groups, okay? Practical way to end the message here. Practical way to end the message. Small groups here at Crossview. A while back, uh, Chris preached about, he mentioned three types of small groups, three types of small groups. And obviously these, these types of small groups can be mixed. You can have one that's kind of two out of the three of these or all three of them mixed together. But there's three basic types of small groups. Number one, life groups, life groups. Many of you guys are in this already. You know, it's a group of friends that you literally do life with. You do everything together and you're probably, you're together forever. Hey, I've got a group that I've been friends with for years and years. Uh, this summer, we did a Tuesday night soccer night. Our kids played soccer. One of the dads had been a soccer coach. So the kids played soccer and the rest of us, we just hung out. We ate supper on our lawn chairs. Uh, it was really, really great. Tuesday nights, it was, yeah, it was just wonderful. So those are life groups, just people you do life with, you get together with and you're, you're friends forever. The second type of group would be study groups. Study groups, you know, these, are, these might be temporary. It's ways to, to kind of get to know each other and grow in the context of studying a book or a specific topic. Uh, you know, these are often on Zoom, they're 60 minutes long, they're very convenient, they're a great way to grow. Uh, I did one of these in, in spring and then I've, I've led this for the last six weeks, I led a, a group studying The Cure and just a beautiful, awesome way to get to know each other and, and it doesn't necessarily have to go forever but you can start another book afterwards. So study groups and then the third thing, third way to create community is to serve together. You know, one of the best ways that to, to get to know people is to, to go serve together, to, 
to be a part of a group that just does service stuff together or is part of you know worship a worship team or a production team or a community helps team you know meals whatever it might be uh, there's going to be a whole bunch of small groups, okay, starting at the end of September, the beginning of October. It's kind of when we're going to be launching small groups. And, and if you have any questions about small groups on the adult side of things, you can email grace at crossviewchurch.ca and everything for youth, everything from grade 7 to 12 and young adults and even young marrieds. You can email me, Caleb, at crossviewchurch.ca. And we're very, very excited um, to, to launch these small groups uh, for youth. We want to create in September, from September 15th to October 6th. Uh, every Wednesday, we're going to have all the youth, all the young adults at the church. We're going to kind of create um, you know, community organically, and small groups are going to kind of come out of that in October. Because we want these small groups, all small groups across you, to be organic, to be real relationships. And so, yes, if you want information about small groups, email grace at crossviewchurch.ca or me, Caleb, at crossviewchurch.ca. Okay, let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for giving us the gift of Sabbath, for giving us, us the gift of rest, of recreation, a time to, to reflect, to slow down from our regular rhythm. That is a gift, not an obligation that we must fulfill, but a gift, a beautiful gift that we receive with gratitude. Jesus, help us also in relationships to live out, to live out emotionally healthy spirituality, to be in relationships that are authentic and real, where we can be seen and known for who we are, see each other for who we are, see you for who you are, and then live out the Great Commission to do good works in your name, to reflect you, to disciple, to be discipled in Christ-likeness, disciple others in Christ-likeness, and reflect you to the world around us and to serve and love and sacrificially give to the world around us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.